In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. When I pray for people, I expect God to do something. And you know what? He usually doesn't disappoint me. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is for you to become your best by calling you in to the arena of manhood, calling you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and calling you up to your absolute best version of you. Because when you get it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Guys, we honor you today for grinding it out in the stress bubble of life, a.k.a. The Arena. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to manhood. Our goal, as usual, is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless, male-dominated bleachers, and to call you up to the absolute best version of you, because when the man gets it, everyone wins. As you hear, I'm with my buddy Dale Culver, who's our producer, mix master, co-host, and the backbone of the Man Card Podcast. So, Dale, so how you doing, my man? I'm doing good. Dude, me doing too, man. so good. Today is good. It's a sunny day in Oregon in December. Got a birthday coming up. Gotta love it. Yeah. So, hey, man, I'm uh, really excited today about our man, our men in the arena Facebook forum. See ten over 10,000 guys engaged in that on daily discussions. Uh, our death ruck, you guys, make sure you save the date. If you're listening right now and you're interested, June 22nd and 23rd, it's a Saturday, Sunday. We're doing 42 miles, 7,500 feet of gain, literally hiking through Timbuktu, which is a logging ghost town up in northern Oregon. So, man, we did that last year. It was a phenomenal trip and event, and so want to get you out there. Guys, I'm excited about today's podcast. My wife and I, um, when I, I won't say every morning, but we generally, one of our practices is to grab this book called The Jesus Story. It's a blended reading of the Gospels, and I read this to her. So it takes all four of the Gospel counts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, puts them together in one wonderful flowing narrative, and I read this to my wife, and we have read through the Jesus story, I'm going to say three, maybe four times. We just have been doing this for several, several years now, and uh, a dear friend of mine has put this together, and I just think, guys, if you're wanting to do something uh, at the beginning of the year to really uh, minister to your wife, and if you're going, hey, I want to lead my family, I just don't know how, this is a great, great resource for you uh, to do, to uh, pick up, and a good friend of mine, Bill Perkins, published it, and I've brought him on the podcast today, and so he's a dear friend of mine, I want we've known each other for about eight or nine years now, and I want to just talk about 
about him for a second. Bill is 69 years old. He's an author and international speaker. He's written over 20 books, including the first manhood book I've ever read called Six Rules Every Man Must Break. Then he wrote Six Battles Every Man Must Win, which was my favorite book that he's written, probably. Uh, when Good Men Are Tempted, love that book. Why Naked Men Look Naked Women Look So Good. Oh, dude. I said why naked men look so good. He wrote a book called Why Naked Women Look So Good, which was a real fun read. And he published the Jesus story through White Heart Horse Press. So I just I'm really excited to bring on my friend from Westland, Oregon. He's been married to Cindy 47 years. He has three adult sons, Ryan 41, William 39, and Paul 36. Bill is the first guy we've interviewed twice who is an author. And so I'm really excited to bring him on, my author friend, and uh, one of the guys who's been a mentor to me, Bill Perkins. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Jim. Good to talk with you again. Hey, it's so good. That we got we to, gotta, I think we're about due for coffee, man. I think so, man. Yeah. We'll have yeah, to... I'd love that one closer to you. Now, I live in Wilsonville, and I bought this uh, rocket espresso machine, man. This thing is amazing. Oh, really? So you're you 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 moved out of Westland. You're in Wilsonville. We moved into Wilsonville uh, to be closer here, kind of to our base of ministry in this community. And um, yeah, so I'm roasting coffee again, and I got me a great espresso machine. So yeah, I'd love to have you come over and treat you to some really good coffee. Oh, dude. Okay, so when this podcast is over, we're gonna we're gonna get together and, and make that happen. So, hey, will you do us a favor, Bill? I, I know you really well. I know your story really well. But will you just, uh, for those who didn't listen to our last podcast, which was probably, what, 100 episodes ago, Dale? Yeah. Probably close to 100 yeah. episodes ago. Will you just tell our listeners your a story, personal life, things you enjoy, hobbies, anything else you'd like them to know? Well, I came to faith in Christ when I was 19. I didn't grow up in a religious family. And um, I kind of, what I knew about being a Christian, I picked up from friends of mine who went to church. Um, you know, one of my friends said that to go to heaven, you've got to have your good deeds, that way your bad deeds. And so for a day, I had an imaginary scale in my mind, and I put the good deeds on one side and the bad deeds on the other. And it didn't take me long to realize that uh, the scale was tipping in the wrong direction. Yeah. And so I asked another friend, and he said that... Um, he said that if you want to go to heaven, you have to be baptized, because that washes away the guilt of your sin. Well, the church I attended baptized every week by sprinkling, and once a year by immersion. And I thought that, that sprinkling was for people who didn't sin very much. And so I waited until the annual immersion baptism and was baptized by immersion. Oh, but nothing changed, and so I called my friend, and I go, hey, I did that baptism thing, but nothing's any different. And he said, well, baptism doesn't get you home, it just gets you to first base. And I said, well, what gets me home? And he goes, well, your good deeds have to outweigh your bad deeds. So I was kind of back where I started. And then uh, a couple years later, a friend of mine, that smart guy, good student, great athlete, buddy, went to church every week. He told me that God grades on the curve and I didn't need to worry about it. And I was feeling kind of good about that, but um, I took this test where we had to name every bone in the human body. And I might add, I named them all successfully. Pinky, flip-off finger, index finger, <laughs> funny bone. I thought that my names were much better than the boring names that appeared in the book. And um, after that test, I saw the teacher, who happened to be the coach in the hall, and I asked him if he was going to grade that test on the curve. And he said he could curve it 50 points, and I'd still flunk it. <laughs> and, that, and, and, and sure enough, when I got the test back, it had a big red nine on it with a circle around it. And it occurred to me, what if I stand before God 
And even though he curves it, he's only curving at 50 points, and I've got a nine, and I've got to have 60 points to get into heaven. So I concluded that God was real, but couldn't be known, and so nothing mattered. And I devoted myself to hedonism and materialism. And then by the time I was a senior in high school, I created a massive crisis in my life by my inability to basically love the people I loved. And right after I graduated, I went into my bedroom, got on my knees, and asked God to save me from myself. And Mm. a pastor I knew pointed me to—I was going to the University of Texas at the time, and a pastor pointed me to the ministry of Campus Crusade. And somewhere along the line there, it was explained to me from the Bible that Jesus died and paid for all my sins and was buried and raised from the dead, and that he was punished in my place. And all God required of me was not um, good deeds outweighing bad deeds or baptism or, or believing he graded on the curb, but simple faith in Christ, accepting his payment for my sin. So at age 19, um, as soon as I heard that, I just knew it had to be true because it made sense and nothing else did. And I trusted Christ, and from that moment to this day, I really not had a desire to do anything seriously, except really to know Christ more deeply and to help others know Him more deeply. And uh, I, a year or two after that, I met my wife. Uh, well, she wasn't my wife. I met Cindy. She was a cheerleader at SMU, and I was a student at Texas, and we met on a blind date. A year and a half, we got married, graduated from Dallas, graduated from the University of Texas, went to Dallas Seminary, and left there and pastored a church up in Houston for four years, and then moved up here to Oregon where I pastored for 20 years, and then about 17 years ago, the Lord called me away from that to focus on my writing ministry and basically uh, speaking to men around the country and internationally and uh, and discipling guys. And um, about seven years ago, I was at a really bad place in my life, Jim. I've shared this with you, but yeah. I was very, very overwhelmed with fear. I was just I was nobody, but, but I mean, no one outside recognized it. But I, ha- I had a son that had gotten very ill, and we were running through our savings, our retirement, at a at a frightening pace. And and I was just bound up in, in believing I was going to lose everything and end up living under a bridge. And, and uh, one night I was laying in bed, and as I was thinking about this, I I uh, thought about Jesus in Gethsemane. Uh, where he was fearful, mm-hmm. but he, he, you know, you know what he prayed, not yep. my will, mm-hmm. but yours mm-hmm. be done. And I told the Lord at that moment, I said, I'm not going to allow these thoughts that are triggering this fear to ever stay in my mind again. And while I'm at it, I'm not going to allow any impure thoughts to stay in my mind. And something very supernatural happened, Jim. God flushed out of me all the toxins, all the cortisol, all the fear, and filled me with with his spirit and with joy and expectation. And this transformation was so radical in my life that um, that I, I kind of didn't really know exactly what was going on. But I began, I was, a, I, I was up to that point, a cessationist. That is to say, I was taught that the supernatural gifts, hearing from God, all that stuff ended at the end of the book of Acts because it wasn't needed. The miracles, the hearing from God, all that was necessary to authenticate the person of Christ and his message. But once all that was taken care of, I, I basically would read the Gospels, and when I would read the Gospels, I would um, I would basically only take into, into application 
the teaching and discipleship ministry of Jesus and all the supernatural ministry of Jesus, I just kind of skipped over that because it really didn't apply to me today, mm-hmm. except as an example, for instance. And, um, and, after, and, and, after this, and after this experience, I was uh, speaking at a men's event in Mississippi. And um, the, I spoke on Friday and Saturday, and on Sunday morning I was standing in the back of the church. I, I wasn't speaking, but all of a sudden I began to hear this girl's name, Lisa, 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 in my mind. And I turned to a friend of mine who uh, believed God did speak today, and I said, Jeff, I don't know what's going on, man, but I keep hearing this girl's name in my mind. And he goes, well, you got to find her, bro. God wants you to minister to her. So I asked the guy at the soundboard if he knew anyone named Lisa in the church, and he put the two of us together. And uh, it turned out that Lisa had uh, had gotten very sick, and, and, and the, the treatment, the, the illness was in remission, but she had tremendous pain. And uh, I asked if I could pray for her, and she said yes, and I prayed for her, and she was, was instantly healed. And... Um, her eyes got big, and she tried to recreate the pain, and she couldn't, and she started crying. And I had prayed for who knows how many people over the life of my ministry, but I had never, ever seen anyone healed. In fact, I never expected anybody to be healed. I just was kind of praying for them to offer them comfort and a connection with God, but but not because I expected them to be healed. And so when this happened, it was so profound. All of a sudden, I felt I was standing in a bubble where the rules of the material world no longer applied, and the kingdom of God rules applied. And so I came home, and I called a friend of mine who teaches at a seminary, told him what had happened, and he was very encouraging in that he said, that's great, God did that, but I should not be expecting anything like that moving forward. And I called someone else I know, a woman this time, and she basically said the same thing, I remember standing on my deck that sunny day there in Westland, Oregon, looking at Mount Hood and thinking to myself, they're wrong, and I can't go back. Something happened, and something happened inside of me. And it was a continuation of that revival that began that night when I was so overwhelmed with fear. And what I realized at that point in time, Jim, it blew me away. I realized that I had written three books based on the ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, Awaken the Leader Within, um, Six Rules Every Man Must Break, and The Jesus Experiment, and I had written notes on the Gospels for three study Bibles, and who knows how many sermons, but I had never just read through the Gospels. The only time I read through the Gospels was if I was reading the whole Bible. I read the Gospels to study for a sermon or to do research for a book, but never just to know Jesus. Wow, that's shocking. uh, Yeah, it it is shocking. And and so I I made a decision in March of 2012 that I would read through the Gospels once a month for the rest of the year. And about three months into that, someone gave me a copy of an Amethyst book, The Life of Christ in Stereo that was published in 1971. A man named Johnson Cheney spent 24 years blending the Gospels from the Greek. Did you catch that, Jim? Yeah, from the Greek. yeah I know that because I, I read about him, yeah. And, and then when he finished blending it, he translated it into English, 
And then he worked with a, a professor at Western Seminary uh, for a, a couple of years to kind of perfect the translation, and then it went through various committees and became a bestseller, uh, The Life of Christ in Stereo, but it was no longer in print. Now, a, a man named Bob Meltebeck purchased the rights of the book, and Bob had, had, had become wealthy as a land developer in Eugene, Oregon. And so what he did was he retired at age 55, bought an RV, and would drive up to Western Seminary in Portland and spend two or three days a week there, and he got a doctorate creating a, a uh, eight and a half by 11 based on the life of the uh, based on the blended gospels the life of Christ in stereo and and what he did was he provided all of these study notes and graphs and um, if you get a copy of this it's, it's um, Jesus Christ the greatest life and buy that at Amazon Jesus Christ the greatest life uh-huh. he actually has underlined and, and, and in the margins he will tell you, where every single passage comes from. In other words, it's all blended together. But he, he, he indicates, well, this is from Mark, this is from John, this is from Matthew, this is from Luke. And I began to read that. And after I've been reading that about a year or two, I, I, I wanted to get this into a format that was one cool looking, classical, like a classical book. And I wanted it to be able to be read like a novel, the story mm. of Jesus, like a story. And so I, I, I took out all footnotes, references, cross-references, chapters, verses, study guides. I took out everything. And I created seven chapters, one that is the introduction to his ministry, one for each of the four years of his ministry, and then the last week of his ministry, and then his death burial, and crucifixion. And I have a book broker that's helped me do some self-publishing with other books, and uh, Stu Weber's brother, Eric. Oh, okay. If listeners have read Stu Weber's books, Eric's in the publishing world and has been forever on the printing side. And so I, I told him what I wanted, and we met at a coffee shop, and he brought me about eight or nine different books. And I saw this one book, that is a book published by Dickinson Press, the largest publisher in the world. And every year, they take this format, and they put a different novel inside of it, and then they print 20,000, and they send them out to book, book brokers and bookstores all over the world to show them what quality printing looks like. And so, and so this book has gold gilding on the top of it. Um, it's made out of quality paper. It's a hardback. And I looked at it, I said, this is it. This is what I want the Jesus story to fit into. And then and then I contacted, you know, I did some research on the best graphics people. And I found the best one, in fact, they're in Bend, Oregon, Baytown Studios. They cost more, but man, oh man, did they do a phenomenal job on this book. And since, it's, since there's no visual breaks by chapters and verses and stuff, I, I, I wanted to make it even classier, so I, um, I, I got a license to use uh, 20 Gustav Doré images. Now, most of the listeners have probably never heard of Gustav Doré, but look him up. Um, he was the most prolific artist in the 1800s, and if you've ever looked in those old Bibles that have what looked like very fine sketches of biblical stories and so forth, he is probably the artist that did those. 
And so I got 20 of his images, and I placed them, you know, appropriately throughout the book, corresponding to the story that's being read and, and told, so that it would, would have that visual break and kind of make it even seem much more of a classic book. And wow. so as of today, I've now read through the Gospels 82 months in a row. And I want your listeners to know there is no devotional practice that I've ever utilized in my life, from scripture memory, which I still review my verses, from, from journaling, there's nothing that has transformed my life, my marriage, and my ministry more than just reading the Gospels to know Jesus. Not for a sermon, not for a book, just to know Jesus. And I am telling you, man, these 82 months, I've never gotten bored. I see things every single month I've never seen before, Jim. And, of course, you know I've already given you this story, and you yeah. and your wife are now reading through it, and you know what I'm talking about. There's something about just reading the story of Jesus that's so transformative. Well, and there's and, it, and you know what? It's pure. You're not having to sift through church politics— you're not having to sift through the writings of Peter or John or James or Paul. You're just reading about Jesus, the pure, unadulterated, uh, 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 undeciphered by others. It, there's a purity in it, you know. Hey, so let me. Let me yeah. We're, we're going to take a break real quick, Bill, and hear from our sponsors. And we're going to come right back. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with a mission to help men become their best version and change their world. The war to change your world is epic. Every battle counts, and every man in the arena matters. Our closed Facebook forum for men, appropriately called Men in the Arena, is a great way for you to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today. Hey, because of my passion to see men get out of the bleachers into the arena, I want to offer a free resource to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Simply give us your email. We'll send you a PDF copy of the field guide. This is my 365-day bathroom book for men. It's a study of manly words in the Bible illustrated with great stories. This is a great resource for all of our arena men. Guys, you're going to love this book. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those in the anonymous bleachers pleading for you to get in the arena today? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. So, Bill, so my wife and I, I don't know how many times we've read it, but you're saying that you have read the full blended gospel reading that you've produced, the Jesus story. You've read that once a month for well, the last for 82 the months? Four, for the first four or five months in 2012, I didn't know about the blended gospel, so okay. I just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But I was at Cannon Beach speaking, and I was so fired up about what God was doing, and I shared it with the camp director there, and he, apparently, Rothmacher used to bring cases of um, um, Jesus Christ, the Greatest Life, Melchizedek study book, out to Cannon Beach to give them away. And so he had a case or two of those, and he gave me the case of Melchizedek's book, and I began to read that, and I was so glad I had it because I was um, I was kind of at a place where I wanted I wanted the maps, I wanted to see where things were, and I wanted to understand things more. And so, so I'm holding it in my hand now, and it's pretty tattered. This uh, this this Jesus Christ, the Greatest Life book that uh, that I started reading, and so I read this, and then I went on Amazon.com. 
And on Amazon.com, I got a, I got a copy of The Greatest Life and, uh, and began to read that until I published it. And this one, this hardback version of The Greatest Life I got on Amazon was used, and it was in good shape when I got it. But um, right now, it's um, in fact, it's really interesting. The last time I read this, because in the back of this book I wrote down each month, was October of 2015. Oh, and so in September of 2015, when the when the Jesus story came out, I closed this book, and I don't think I've read it since because I've been reading the Greek Jesus story. But so, this thing is it's, it's all marked up with notes and and yeah, no man, it's it's just been an amazing experience. Well, I, I missed something here, and where what happened to the case of books that you were given in Cannon Beach? Oh, he only gave me a book. Oh, okay, he, okay. He, no, no, I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying that Rob Mocker would bring, give him cases of that book to give away, okay. and he still has some remaining, and so okay. he gave me one. So here's a question for you. You said that your marriage has changed since you've been reading this. So, you know, we're to our audience right now is uh, men in the arena. They're 35 to 55. They've got kids in the home. They're living in the stress right. bubble, and, you know, and so they, they, they read verses like wash your wife with a word in Ephesians five or lead your family, you know, and they get really overwhelmed. And so this to me was an easy thing to do with Shannon and myself. Uh, and we do it very, very regularly, several times a week. But my question to you is how, would Sydney, Cindy say that you've changed? What ways have you changed in her eyes? Well, uh, before I forget, and I'll answer that question, but I want to I want to address a different issue. When you when you talk about um, you know we as men we we want a, a formula, we want a strategy, we want a game plan, we want a practice plan, we want a workout plan. You know, you and I both work out. We, we when we go into the gym, we we kind of know what we're going to do. We got a plan, right? Yeah. But, but, but what, what happens is this, for instance, you know, we, I'm in privilege right now because I began to do the things I saw Jesus doing, and I began to see amazing things happen. You know about this. Yes. You've experienced it. And so the, the, the people, they want to know, well, geez, we, we want to see someone yield, or we want to see someone set free from a stronghold. And what they're looking for is the effect. But for me... It's about knowing Jesus better. Yes, yes, yes. Because the, more, the, the this is not a, wow, I'm going to do this to be a better person. It is, I'm going to do this to know Jesus better. And what's happened is, the more I've known Jesus, the more he's changed me from the inside out. I mean, I've read through the Gospels every month for 82 months. That means I tend to kind of have his thoughts right there, at the, right, on my, right on my mental fingertips, so to speak. I don't have to wonder what he said or think about it, or it's in conversations now. It just comes up. And in situations where perhaps I would have reacted more angrily, like just yesterday, when I was changing lanes and there was a bus that was stopped and people were merging and a guy in a big pickup, there was plenty of room for me to get in. Well, I turned on my turn signal, he kind of speeded up, and I squeezed in, and he laid, you know, he laid on the horn. In the past, that would have really pissed me. I mean, I would have been like, I would have wanted to just, like, flip him off. Yeah. I would have because, you know, he probably was bigger than me. And who knows, <laughs> maybe he went to my church. So, <laughs> you know. But, but, but in this instance, it didn't affect me. It just didn't affect me. And it wasn't because I said, well, I'm not going to get angry anymore. It was simply because I hang out with Jesus every day, and I've been doing that now 
for approaching eight years or seven years, yeah, approaching seven years, it, it just changes you. It's just, it changes you. So how it's has like reading? A, go ahead. So so when you say hanging out with Jesus every day, so let me let me ask you about that. So when I so I read the Bible virtually every day every day of the week. So I'm reading the Bible. So to me, I'm reading about Jesus, but somehow your reading it sounds like has transcended that. And you're actually, you're also enhancing your prayer life and your relationship with Jesus through the reading. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, you know, if you hang out with somebody, you know, you just hang out with them, you begin to talk like they do. Yeah. You begin to think like they do. You begin to share their values. And I think the thing for me was, I was doing all this research about the principles of Jesus and his teaching, and... And now when I read the epistles, for instance, I see the teaching of Jesus all over them. All over them. Yeah. And I realize they're just teaching what they've heard from him that's not in the Gospels. Uh-huh. You know, when he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the Church. Well, I mean, if you're hanging out with Jesus and you're seeing that kind of sacrificial love for people, and you hang out with him all the time, you begin to think like that. And, and every thought is attached to an emotion. Every emotion to a thought. So if I'm thinking more like Jesus because I'm hanging out with it, that's going to affect my emotion. So when you say, what would my wife say? People ask her that question, and her response is, in every way. She would say, for instance, he's way more patient than he used to be. He puts me first. He serves me. I mean, just a little example. I mean, this is kind of dumb, and it may be unlike any of the listeners, but I like to cook, and I do the cooking around here. And historically, for instance, you know, I'd want to get the biggest piece or the best piece or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's no big deal. You're the cook. I'm not that way anymore. I want her to have the best. I want her to have... I, it, it is a perspective of life that has been transformed by hanging out with Jesus all the time. It's just... It's, it's really... It's, it's stunning. It is stunning. So I guess I'm trying to understand that phrase, Bill, hanging out with Jesus. So... When you're reading the Gospels, are you saying this is my hangout with Jesus time, or are you... Yeah, that's exactly, yes. Okay. Yeah. So you're kind of putting yourself in there as a, as a disciple, like putting yourself, immersing yourself, inserting yourself into the story. Look, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. About three or four years ago, every time I would read through the Gospels and enter into these stories, there was one story I could not enter into, and that was when Jesus was um, at the, at the, having dinner at the home of the Pharisee, and the immoral woman came in and got down at his feet and began to wash his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair and anoint them with oil and all the time kissing them. Well, when it got to the kissing them part, I just I recoiled. I pushed back. Mm-hmm. I could kiss my son's feet affectionately, no doubt. But, but this isn't just a little smack that she's giving him. She is loving on the man. She is loving on him. She's expressing this deep emotion and love for him. And I just couldn't do it. And every month when I would get to that passage and I would feel this recoiling, this, this pushing back, I'd say, Lord, what's wrong with me? Mm. What's forbidding me from loving you? Why am I sexualizing the kissing of your feet? And every month I ask God to show me. In about two years into me asking, he showed me. 
And there was a secret because something happened to me when I was 14 years old, Jim, that I swore I would never tell anybody. I wouldn't tell my wife. I wouldn't tell my kids. I wouldn't tell my best friends. And for 50 years, I kept that secret. Wow. And the Lord showed me that when I was 14, I was sexually victimized by a University of Texas professor. Wow. And I had pushed that so deep down into my subconscious that it wasn't until one night God showed me that was the reason why. And when that happened, I went down and I got on my face before the Lord, and I had an amazing experience. In that moment, I had this image of Jesus washing my feet and kissing them. And when he had finished, he pushed the bowl over to me and gave me his bare feet. And in my mind, in this, in this experience that I was having with the Lord, I washed his feet, and I kissed his feet. And in that moment, I was set free from shame. I was set free from this condemnation that I had. I began to, to not the details of what happened, but I began to share the story in public venues and privately with people. And exactly the opposite of what I thought would happen, happened. I thought for sure, if I made that known, people would think less of me. But you know what, Jim? I share that story. There are so many of your listeners right now that have something bad happened to them as kids that they are so ashamed of. It's created a stronghold of shame and fear in their life. And it may also be the reason why they have issues with pornography and with maintaining sexual control in other areas. And what happened was, I find now, I share that story and people feel safe around me. They Mm. feel that they can come to me now and tell me their secrets. Because when I meet privately with men, and, and I do this, and it usually takes two or three hours to help them deal with a stronghold, I always will ask this question. Is there anything you've ever done you've never told anyone? Or has anything ever happened to you you've never told anyone? Ooh, that's good. And Jim, they tell me. They tell me, Jim. Wow. They tell me what's happened that they've never told anyone. And it's stunning when the Lord Jesus Christ You know, the Lord said that everything that is in darkness will be come into the light. And he said that that we, the the people who are caught up in sin, love the darkness because they don't want their sin exposed. And that's the enemy. The enemy lies to us and tells us we need to keep it in hiding. And Jesus Christ, when he enters the presence of that dark spot, he brings light with him. And when it's exposed, we are free from its power and from its shame and from the lies that bind us. And so it is the sort of a deal where that's an example of how reading through the Gospels every month has been used by Christ to bring the light of his presence into these dark areas of my mind and of my heart, of my life, of my relationships, and expose me to the truth of his presence and the transforming power of his life. Yeah, that's good, man. Well, you know, it's really I really do appreciate this book. Like I said, for me, it's been something I've got a couple. Uh, I do a day, a one year Bible, and with my wife, this is the thing my wife and I use. It's the thing that we do together to really understand Jesus. And 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 not only and, and let me explain. When I say understand Jesus, here's what I mean: the flow of his ministry career. And Cheney, uh, I would imagine that some of this would be seen as I I think some of this blended gospel reading would be a little 
controversial, or not controversial, but would have some scholarly discussion. There's three things I'm thinking of for sure I want to ask you about. The first one is, the main one is, he took the Gospels in order to blend them. He realized that that we always say Jesus' you know, ministry was three years, but but Cheney realized it was four. Can you Can you walk us through that? Well, his conclusion was that there were so many things. The, the, the ministry of Jesus is pedestrian. There's no, there's no racetrack here. Exactly. He's not, he's not in a hurry to get from one place to the other. And he said, in order to justify the um, the the um, three year gospel, a three year ministry, a three and a half year ministry, you have to compress the the the, the, the events of the last six months of his life into such a a tight time frame that he didn't believe that it was actually a realistic approach. Now, my personal opinion is, I don't really care if it's three years or four years. The story remains the same. Exactly. But that's his interpretation. And that's just, it's just not even an issue to me. If somebody says, well, that was three, three and a half years, hey, man, just read the story. Oh, I agree. And I love how... Yeah, and I love how you broke the book into first year of ministry, second year of ministry, preparation for ministry. Then you had the last week of ministry, which was a huge week of ministry, and the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. I love that. And I'll tell you the my most enjoyable part of the book. Or I say the book because it's I read it like a book. You've you've laid it out like a book. You know, it's wonderful and easy to read. I love Cheney's. I love the translation, and I, I love what he did with Peter. And the denials, because I was always taught that it was you know three denials, you know, boom, it happens. But but Sheeney believed it was something way beyond that, and the way he put it together is brilliant. Can you explain that? Well, he basically when he took each of the passages where there was a denial, it added up to six. Yes. And so Jesus said, "Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times," and then he said. Before the rooster crows the second time, you will deny me three times. Yes. Well, right there are six denials. Now, again, whether it's three, I talked to another guy that did a a, a, um, a blended gospel called the Merged Gospels by Gary Crossland. And Gary Crossland, this is an eight and a half by eleven study guide, large book. But um, I called him up to talk to him, and, and he's a he, he's an archaeologist. He does video. He does film. Um, he's over in Israel, he's actually got a home in Israel, but he believes there were five denials. And so he basically disagreed with Cheney on that. And there, there, are, there are things in there, I mean, I like a lot of the translation, but there's parts that I don't like. For instance, when John the Baptist is talking about um, you know, the, his disciples come and say, well, the one who was with you, uh, he's discipling more. Than us, and, and he said, "Well, I told you that um, that, his, that I'm I'm not the bridegroom. I'm the I'm the best man, so to speak." And what we've always read is to read then is, "I told you he must increase and I must decrease." Well, Cheney translates that he must increase and I must move to the sidelines. Yeah, I know that. Well, mm-hmm. Come on, that's a, that's just a horrible translation. Why would you take a perfect sentence? He must increase and I must decrease and contemporize it in such a way that anyone that reads that that's thinking knows, you, you really believe they had athletic fields there and they used the word sideline? Well, I, I was, you know what I was hearing there? I was hearing Eugene Peterson. 
exactly. And the message, you're right? The second per- hey, you're the second person last month who's told me that. Yeah, because I, I, I love, I, 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 I get ready to read it, and I'm thinking, oh, cool, here it comes. I must decrease, and all of a sudden I hear, I all of a sudden I hear, move the sidelines. I go, whoa, whoa, I just got done reading the message right there. <laughs> so Well, and... and- Tom Nelsonbeck owns this copyright. He he gave me a five-year license, and I'm three years into that license. So I've got 3,000 copies of this book stored over at the, uh, at the church we attend. And um, obviously I get to sell those however long, but I'm hoping to sell those and do another print run before these two years are up. Well, but, I want to yeah, no, I want to talk about that. Yeah, that's great. Well, here's another translation I think is really interesting. So it's 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 Peter being confronted by Jesus, or Peter is being told by Jesus that hey, uh, uh, you're going to be you know S- Satan's going to tempt you. You're going to be sifted. And he says Satan has demanded to have you. Now I've always read that as you, Peter, but but uh, Cheney interprets that as Satan has demanded to have you disciples that he may sift you like wheat. And so Cheney translated that different than what I'd ever seen before, and I thought that was really, really interesting. Have you noticed that? Well, that's that's one that again, you know, I'm gonna have, I would have to look that up in my Greek cross reference sort of a deal. Yeah, it's one of those examples. There's another example that's very cool too. You remember when Jesus told the disciples to uh, a lot of the, a lot of the English translations, Jesus said to them, "It's the uh, first miraculous catch." He said to them. Throw your um, net. It, it, most translations say, "Throw your net into the water." Yeah. And he said, "Well, Lord, we've been fishing all night and caught nothing, but at your request, we'll throw the we'll throw the net in." Sheeny translates it where Jesus said, "Throw your net into the water," and Peter says, "If you're bidding, I'll throw in the net." Well, when I looked it up, Sheeny's right in the Greek. Wow. It's the world. Throw your net in, and that explains why. After Peter brought in this net full of fish, that he fell on his face in repentance before Jesus and declared himself a sinful man because it was partial obedience. But there's a great sermon there, Jim. Oh. That great sermon is God will even honor partial obedience. Wow, that is as long really as good. we're making that step towards obeying Jesus Christ. We often get guilty because we're not perfectly obedient. Well, no, we never will be. Yeah. But, 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 if, we, but if we're seeking to obey, he'll fill our nets. That is really good. It's I mean, like I, I love that. Peter. I remember reading that the first time going, nets. I've never read nets before. I mean, because and it's like you're saying, the beauty of the blended gospel reading, uh, the Jesus story that you produced through White, House, White Horse Press, the beauty of this to me is every time you read it, you see something different, and it's just it's just different than reading the gospel straight through the, with the with the the chapter and the verses and the footnotes and all this. This reads like a book, like a narrative, well, and it's and, just and done, Cindy, wonderful. Cindy's been listening to uh, uh, to the reading of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in sequential order. Um, she's just been I, I just she got on her computer, her phone, and I'll hear her listening to it. And when I'll pause and listen to it. If it's Mark and they're talking about a particular story, but but Luke and Matthew also speak about it, or maybe even John, immediately I know the part of the story that's missing. And I've preached so many sermons from the Gospels where I didn't cross-reference what the rest of the story was in the other Gospels, and I didn't get the whole story. 
Well, it's like, and it's like Mary Magdalene. You reference Mary Magdalene, or you reference the woman anointing Jesus' feet. Well, we know through the story it's Mary Magdalene, and we know from John 8 she was the woman caught in adultery. So we piece this whole narrative together, and it becomes a wonderful tapestry as you watch Mary Magdalene's life transform throughout the Gospel readings. Yeah, it really is fun. It's um, it's just fascinating to me to read through it, and as I mentioned before, every month I see something I have not seen before, and it's it's just it really is fascinating. And what what for me has happened is it's just released a whole whole new power in my ministry. When I pray for people, I expect God to do something, and you know what? He usually doesn't disappoint me. Yeah. In well, fact, this house that we've moved into, we believe that God called us here, that this will be a place, a house of prayer, and that we are praying for people to be set free from whatever binds them. And we just had a lady last weekend flying from Carson City, Nevada. She was so bound up in therapists and doctors, and nobody could help her. And, um, you know, we just, it, it's like the people that we want to meet with are the desperate people for whom nothing is worth. Yeah. Like, like the woman with the flow of blood. These are people that spend all their resources on doctors and therapists, and they go to church, they pray, they read, they get in recovery groups, but nothing's working. Those are the people that when we meet with them, we expect the Lord Jesus to set them free. And usually these, these freedom sessions last two to three hours, sometimes longer. Sometimes longer. Well, the, you know, I I really you know I'm a I'm a, a user, so you know I love uh, this um, resource for my wife and what it's done for us, and it's been a life changer for you. So the big question, uh, Bill, a couple years ago, this book was really really hard to access, and so I, I'm I'm hoping that you can give us a way for these guys to go get it and to actually buy this as a tool for their families. Is there a website or is it on okay. Amazon? Hey. How do they pick this resource up? Well, the, the, the website is readthejesusstory.com. Um, I'm in the process of setting up a storefront on Amazon.com as we speak. Um, my videographer is coming over tomorrow. We're going to update the video. The video on readthejesusstory.com is a, uh, was my Kickstarter video. And so it talks about what the book will be because I was raising money to get it published and not what it is. And so there's only about five phrases where all i got to do is speak into a microphone and change the future to a present tense. And, um, and that video will be, will be uploaded. And I would think that within, I'm hoping within a week it's on Amazon. And, okay, so they, um, <clears throat> so they can go to readthejesusstory.com? Yes. And they and can actually... They click bu- on the purchase, okay, but let me finish. When they click on the purchase, it's going to take them to back or kit. And backer kids, they're going to call it a pre-order. It's not. Well, just click on pre-order because it's an order, but they won't change their software. And so I'm just going to convert the sales over to Amazon.com so that it's easier for them to do that. But um, they can they can get copies on readthejesusstory.com. And if they place an order, we'll try to get it to them as quickly as we can because these would make great gifts for family members, for pastors, for school teachers, friends, whomever. Yeah, well, I agree 100%. And so, well, hey, Bill, I, I'm really pumped about this the Jesus story. Uh, thank you so much for sharing today and uh, just taking the time to help a friend out last minute. <laughs> and I hope that, uh, yeah. I hope our guys, men well, in the I'm arena. <laughs> you know, I am blown away, Jim, about how God is using your vision, your passion, 
your leadership skills uh, to develop these, you know, people on Facebook, people on your your ministry. I am just, I am telling you, bro, the hand of God is on you, and it's just, it's just really encouraging to see the Lord Jesus uh, work in you and through you. I mean, I remember when we sat in my cigar room at our house over in West Wind and yep. talked about, what are you going to call this thing? Michael, what are you talking about, man? Great hunt for God. That's awesome. Well, we need to meet because there's a lot going on. We just started a virtual team, so I've got a team of men, uh, seven men from six different states, and I'm actually keynoting two of Doyle's events next year. There's a lot of cool stuff going on, and I'd love to get together with you and share with you and just kind of reconnect. So let's make sure we do that sometime in the new year. Uh, I'll initiate that, Bill. I'll reach out to you, man. I know you're traveling a lot and doing your thing. So thanks so much for coming on our show. Okay, I love you, buddy. Love you too, buddy. Hey, man, you've been yes, listening later. to the you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast, guys. We're here to help you change your world. We believe that when you get it, everything around you wins. Everyone around you wins. So, guys, get our free app, The Great Hunt for God. It has all our resources. It has a Bible app. This thing is awesome. Check it out. It is free. Also, subscribe to Man Card Podcast, which you're listening to right now. Subscribe. Write a review. We'd really be excited to to read a positive review. If you if you write one, we will definitely read it and uh, send you some swag and. And then join the Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men. In a year, we've got almost 10,500 men engaging hourly, minute by minute, about what a man is and does. Guys, get involved in joining the Men in the Arena army and become the best version of yourself and change your world because when you get it, everyone wins. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. <sighs> Deep sigh by Dale. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world on our closed Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. In our passion to help all arena men, we're offering an excellent free resource when you visit our homepage at meninthearena.org. Simply give us your email, and we'll send you a free PDF version of Jim's book for men called The Field Guide, a bathroom book for men. It's a daily study of manly words in the Bible explained with great stories. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, thank you for joining men in the arena from around the world who are becoming their best version. And remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.